This is the conclusion to the most revolutionary message ever given. And in his conclusion, Jesus contrasts two lives. Now, on the surface, they have far more in common than in contrast. But it is the contrast that makes all the difference. And so Jesus concludes his revolutionary words by saying, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Two lives. Both hear the words of Christ. Both experience the storms of life rattling the window panes of their soul. One still stands, one falls. And the difference? In the case of one, they heard the words of Christ. The other, Heard the words of Christ, internalized them, and then put them into practice. Once again, we discover that life that stands the storms is lived from the inside out. This reminds me of an old oak tree that stood on the, the square of... The town that we lived in for a number of years before we first moved to the northwest. Now, this was in North Georgia, a little bit above the city of Atlanta. And it was one of those historic southern towns that was rich in heritage. And uh, the old oak tree on the town square presided over all this history and heritage as a stately reminder and symbol of, of solidarity, stability and strength. It had been there as long as anybody could remember. But this small southern town was growing, and it was growing quite rapidly, and the inevitable eventually happened, and that is the city planners came forward with a public recommendation that said the old oak tree had to come down to make room for parking for all the businesses that were crowding into the town square. And you just might imagine that this divided the town among preservationists and expansionists and a loud outcry um, erupted. Take down our symbol of stability, security and strength. Never. And so the argument raged in the papers and on the street corners and in the office buildings and the homes for several weeks. And then. On a warm spring evening, 
in this Georgia town, a thunderstorm came. Lightning struck the tree and settled the argument. The town would be divided, but now was the condition of the tree. And the people who came to examine the remains of their old oak tree made a sad discovery, and that was that this old tree that had been the symbol of solidarity for all these years was almost completely hollow on the inside. It was already either dying or dead, and all it needed was one strong storm to settle it all. Now, that is a parable of life in our culture where we give so much effort, energy, and attention to the externals and scant attention to the internals of a well-ordered heart and a well-tended soul. And the result of that Witness the closing words of Jesus to the Sermon on the Mount is that life is unsustainable. And eventually the storms of life, the lightning bolts of circumstance, and they do come, will reveal the superficiality and the fragile nature of life that is lived primarily at the surface. And we may just find out that on the inside, we are hollow. Once again, we change our lives and we change our world from the inside out. So how do we cultivate lives like that? How do we cultivate the journey inward into a rich relationship with Jesus that flows into the journey outward of actually putting his words into practice. Now, that's kind of been our topic for our six weeks together. As this comes to a conclusion today, we've been looking at the lives of great figures of the Old Testament scriptures and of great passages back there. And today we're going to let Jesus put a wrap on it. We're going to hear Jesus as he tells us how to live life from the inside out. And we are going to recognize that it calls us to embrace three primary principles that are found throughout the teachings of Jesus. So how do we live our lives from the inside out? Well, first of all, and this must be first. We connect to our true source of power. Which Colossians 1 tells us is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, my granddaughter, Grace Hegel, on her Facebook, uh, told all who, who listen that if you want to know how to live your life, read the book of Colossians. And it is Colossians 127. And by the way, Sam and Donna, friend, she was taught that by your grandson, David Day. Colossians says, connect with your true source of power, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Many, 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 many years ago, when our two oldest children were very, very small, 
And Marilyn was pregnant with our third, which is Eric. We escaped Texas and went all the way north to Kansas City, Kansas. Now, that might as well have been Manitoba, Canada, because we lived all our lives in Texas. And mostly we'd grown up in the steamy climate of Houston, Texas. The world's three wettest, hottest cities to me are Miami, New Orleans, and Houston. So we really, we were moving up in the late spring, early summer, but we were already anticipating our first Midwestern winter when we would actually experience real cold weather and snow, stuff we'd never experienced in our lives. And we moved into the church parsonage uh, next door to the church buildings, and we were delighted to discover that that old parsonage had a fireplace in it. We had never had a fireplace. And we were just anticipating the day when we could light a fire, sit in front of the fireplace, pull out our old Johnny Mathis records that we had dated by. <laughs> what is funny about that? <laughs> a little bit of Andy Williams thrown in there, Norman Luboff Choir, all of these I'm sure you're familiar with and are currently listening to today. <laughs> Sip hot chocolate. Have a romantic evening before the roaring fire. So Labor Day got here and we were getting pretty antsy for that moment and it was still pretty warm. Finally, we got to mid-October and the, the temperature plummeted to about what it is outside today. <laughs> and in our minds, we created this fact that we were getting a little chilled. And so with anticipation, we built our first fire in the fireplace, got the kids to bed sat there sipping hot chocolate, listening to Johnny Mathis and Andy Williams, sweat pouring down our faces. Oh, man, this was the evening that we had anticipated. Well, so a little more time went by and and it actually did get cold. And the first big snow hit prematurely for that area. I was later to discover, but but it, we had a real genuine snow and it was really, really cold. We wrapped the kids up in in uh, their uh, summer winter attire and dragged them outdoors and played in the snow. And they came in crying after about 20 minutes, which we just absolutely couldn't understand. But Marilyn and I stayed out there and we played in that snow for a couple of hours until we got to noticing all the cars coming by, slowing down and pointing at us and shaking their heads and probably wondering what kind of weirdos had moved into the neighborhood. But that was all the pinup years of looking forward to actually playing in a real live snow. Well, and then it got January and it got really, really cold. And I began to rethink this winter deal. And I crawled out early one morning to go to a meeting, got into the car which we had to park outside because there was no garage and turned the engine and heard this dull groaning and then click, 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 and uh, the car wouldn't start. So when the mechanic came out, he said, okay, your ignition is fine, but your battery is dead. You got to have a new battery. Well, I thought, how can this be? We just bought this car back this past summer in Texas, brand new 73 Pontiac, 
You know, this really cool vinyl roof that was a cover, co- the exact color of my double wide plastic belt and my patent leather shoes. So it had to be mechanically and electronically sound. He said, well, let me explain. You bought this car in Texas, in Houston, in a warm climate. You need a heavy duty battery. For our cold winters. And there's the principle. We often try to run our lives again at the surface level on our own strength. And that does not provide the power to live well when life's cold weather hits. What we need is a heavy-duty source of strength that will sustain us through the storms. And the scriptures tell us that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember with me uh, the upper room experience when Jesus told his disciples on the fateful night he was betrayed, I'm going to a cross. And he says that in John's gospel about chapter 12. And then he spends the next five chapters walking from that upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he will be betrayed and he will go to a cross, talking to them about things that really matter that they aren't getting at that moment. But they will one day remember that he will go to a cross. It's necessary to purchase our redemption. But he will also rise from the dead. He will meet us on the other side of the resurrection. And then he says this. It is absolutely necessary that I go away. So that I can come to you in a new and better way. In the form of the Holy Spirit. Who will live in you to be your power source. To comfort and counsel, strengthen and sustain you. And sure enough, Jesus rises from the grave. And then after 40 days of reinforcing key instructions to his disciples, Jesus goes up and the spirit comes down. And on the day of Pentecost, the spirit dwells in full measure on every believer To transform their lives from fearful followers hiding behind locked doors to bold witnesses who transform their world. And to this very day, right this moment, July 17, 2011, the Spirit of Christ dwells in full measure in every Christ follower. If you are a Christ follower, His Spirit dwells in you. To counsel and comfort, strengthen and sustain you. He is the power source to live life well. So how do we unleash the strengthening activity of the Holy Spirit into our lives that we may take Christ's words in and live them out? Well, here's a question that I must ask. I have given my life to Jesus. 
So in me, I have his spirit. But does his spirit have me? That's the question. Ephesians 5.18 in the King James says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Now, what that literally means is do not abandon yourself to the controlling influence of anything such as alcohol. Rather, abandon yourself to the controlling influence of God's spirit. And we've all seen people under the influence of alcohol, right? They act radically different from how they would normally in their right minds behave. The scripture says, don't be a person under the influence of anything else, such as alcohol. Be under the influence of Christ. Christ in you, which is the spirit of God who empowers us to live well, to take Christ's words in. And to live them out. Plug into your true source of power, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory and the spirit works in you to sustain your life that you may live well, even in the midst of the storm. Now, speaking of the storms, that brings us to Jesus second principle of living life from the inside out. And that principle is this. A Christ follower will view his circumstances differently. We lift our focus from the character of our circumstances to the character of our God. A number of years ago, John Steinbeck wrote a little book called Travels with Charlie. Now, in that little book, he, uh, he really chronicles an experience where for a year in his life, he jumped in his pickup truck with his dog, Charlie, as his only traveling companion. And he toured America. But along the way, he would stop and he would just interview numbers of everyday Americans. And he drew some conclusions from all these interviews. And one of them was this, that it seemed to him that many people in America were spending most of their time wishing they were somewhere else doing something else that they could get out of their circumstances so they could finally be happy. If only they could change their circumstances, then they would know happiness. If only, if only. Now, in the life of a follower of Jesus, one of the lessons of life that needs to be built into us is to view our circumstances differently from that. To understand that they are the arena in which God goes to work to transform our lives. When we look into the scriptures, we hear the, the words of, of Paul, the apostle, a man who knew more than his share of suffering, injustice. And difficult and painful circumstances. And, and Paul is reflecting on his life. And in, in the book of Second Corinthians, he says, you know, there was a time in my life when I had these storms or he called them the thorns in his flesh. And I, I begged God three times that he would remove them. And then it became clear to me that God was saying, I will not remove the storm. But my grace is sufficient 
for you. And this man of God reflects and says, I have come to understand that when I am weak, God is strong. The power of Christ rests upon me. Therefore, he says in Philippians, I have come in whatever circumstances I am, am in to be content. So for those of us who are followers of Christ, when we are tempted to spend our time wishing for geographical cures, for God to remove these painful circumstances, we may remember that strange little verse in the book of James, which says this. Do not resent your trials as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Now, how can we come to say that? We can come to say that when we lift our focus from the character of our circumstances and of ourselves to the character of our God and to understand that he redeems those circumstances, that he is always sufficient and that he will use them actually to transform our character after the character of Christ. The psalmist said, Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord continually before me. Therefore, I shall not be shaken. Or Hebrews chapter 12. Where we read these words. You are surrounded, Christ follower, by this cloud of witnesses who have run the race triumphantly and well. And now they are cheering you on as you run the race of your life. Therefore, lay aside every weight, the loads of life which tend to weigh us down. And the sin which so easily besets us and run with endurance the race that is marked out for you. How? Looking unto Jesus. The terminology there literally means steadfastly gazing upon Jesus, fixing your focus upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. So, as Pastor Scott says. You may gaze on your circumstances. You may glance on your circumstances, but gaze upon Christ. It is all a matter of choosing your focus. Lift your focus from the character of your circumstances to the character of your God. Well, how do we do that consistently knowing how we are? At least how I am. That leads to the final principle of Jesus and living life from the inside out. And it is this. Dive daily into the disciplines of discipleship. Now, at this point, I have to ask myself a question. Am I a Christian by currently acceptable standards? Or am I a disciple of Jesus? Strangely, you look into the New Testament, the word Christian is only mentioned three times. The word disciple is mentioned 269 times. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. He is an apprentice of Christ in his master class of life. He is on the process of becoming fully devoted to Jesus. Am I a Christian by currently acceptable standards or am I a disciple Of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I think you can see without having to think too hard a connection here between the word disciple and the word discipline. And there definitely is a connection. And so First Timothy chapter four says. Train yourself for godliness. Now, physical training profits a little. But training unto godliness profits a great deal, both in this life and in the life to come. And what does it mean training yourself unto godliness? These are what are called the, the, the spiritual disciplines or the disciplines of the spirit, because the spirit who dwells in us, when we engage in them, he goes to work to transform our character and to help us live sustainable and effective lives. And you want to know what these spiritual disciplines are? Well, they are practices modeled by Jesus in the Gospels. Who laid aside his perks and privileges as God and in the flesh lived a life of incomparable beauty and power. And as we go into the Gospels and study the life of Christ, we try to identify those practices he modeled to build his relationship to the father. So you probably have with you or at home a red letter New Testament. You know, the words of Jesus are in red letter. We we really need a green letter New Testament where the practices of Jesus are underlined in green to help us grow forward in our faith. And these practices are many. They vary at different seasons of our lives. But there are some that are fundamental. And I want to spend our last few moments this morning underscoring two pairs of spiritual disciplines to build into our lives. And they appear to be sort of contradictory, but they are actually complementary. And we need the pairs to grow forward effectively as a Christ follower. So for a moment, I want us to talk about practicing the disciplines both of worship and of study. Now, the Psalms, the great worship primer of the Old Testament, tell us in Psalm 95, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. And we are called, if we want to live vibrant lives from the inside out, systematically to engage in the adoration of God who alone is worthy of our worship. Now, in complement with that, we are called to study, to study the scriptures. And so we read in Second Timothy 2.15, do your best. By the way, that's a repeated phrase in that little letter. Do your best. You don't have to be the best, but do your best to present yourself to God as one approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, correctly handling the word of truth. In other words, I am to read regularly and reflectively the word of God until I come to understand it and apply it into my lives, my life. Why? Because of Second Timothy 316, which says. All scripture is God breathed, breathed out from God. He is its source. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness that the man and the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every Good work. 
We are given the scriptures as a light unto our path, a light unto our, a lamp unto our soul. So, some of us, when we turn on to Christ, we gravitate quickly to worship. And we can engage God personally with our emotions and worship Him to the tips of our toes. But sometimes those of us who gravitate so quickly to to wholehearted worship struggle with a systematic study of the Bible. And we sort of come to say, well, that's just not my cup of tea. But the, the problem with that is that worship without Bible study tends to produce an unstable Christian. When the worship wells are flowing, circumstances are going well, and our our emotions are positively engaged, everything's great. But when the wells aren't flowing, our emotions are dry, circumstances are difficult, things are not so great, and our relationship to God quickly goes south. And not only that, the other danger of worship without study is that we become extremely vulnerable to counterfeit Christianity and are easily led into false doctrine. Now, on the other hand, some of us, when we turn on to Christ, we get really excited about about the study of the Bible. And we get into the Word and we buy ourselves a 50-pound study Bible. And we check the commentaries and we get on the Internet with its rich array of resources and we are into the word. But we have difficulty personally engaging God in heartfelt worship. Now, the problem with that is all study and no worship leads to a dry, pedantic, even legalistic Christian. You ever know somebody? Who could quote the Bible all day long and there was no love in their heart? And have you ever known anybody who could sing worship songs all day long and there was no obedience in their heart? We need worship and the study of the Word of God as a fundamental discipline of our lives. And you have the promise of the Bible that if you will make that choice to engage in these disciplines, the spirit within you will will honor that to change your character after the character of Christ. And truthfully, authentic worship causes us to hunger after the word of God and authentic study will create a thirst in us. To worship God. It's both hand. And then one last pair of the spiritual disciplines. And that is we are called to engage in the the disciplines of both solitude and community. Now we're talking foreign language somewhat in our culture. But you cannot study the life of Christ without realizing How much Jesus, who lived the the busiest and the most impactful of lives, intentionally drew away for solitude. 
not just to be alone, but to be alone with the Father. Not to just be silent, but to listen to the Father. In fact, as you read the scriptures, including the lives we've examined in the last few weeks, you have to be struck by the fact that seasons of solitude were absolutely essential in the life of every great Christ follower and follower of God in the scriptures. It is a fundamental practice. And I have a feeling I know why, at least partly, and that is because it frees us from the tyranny of noise, hurry and crowds which are the great enemies to a well-tended heart and a well-ordered soul. You see, we are called to live missionally in the midst of noise, hurry, and crowds. But if we do not withdraw regularly from them to hear from God, we will have no effective message to them when they're in the midst of the arena of life. So we must have times of solitude. You know, noise, hurry, and crowds are like the barnacles that attach themselves to the bottom of a boat and can prove fatal. We, in solitude, allow the Spirit to scrape the barnacles away, to keep us tuned in to listening to the gentle whispers of God, which make us effective as we live missionally in the traffic patterns of our lives. Do you have a place? Where you draw, along, you draw away to be alone with God? I do. When I really need to be alone with God, I go to this place. I hope you do. But you know, the real goal is to come to the point in our walk with Christ that we create a portable sanctuary in the heart. So that in the middle of a busy day, As someone has said, we can descend with our minds into our hearts and gaze upon the majesty and the beauty of our Redeemer. Now, with solitude, we are called with equal fervor to engage in community. Every Christ follower needs a face to face community of faithful friends. Jesus had his small group. Jesus spoke to the multitudes. He ministered to them, but he invested in a few. And in his little small group community, he changed lives that eventually would change the world. And if Jesus needed a small group, I need one also. And that's why small groups have always been central to the Christ following life that we teach at Meadowbrook. And it all begins, all that we have said this morning, with surrender. In my heart, to be on my knees before God. To make a daily choice to surrender to His Spirit who dwells within me. That little verse in Ephesians 5.18 doesn't just say be filled with the Spirit. It literally says keep on daily being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a daily choice. With Paul, I have to say I die daily to self. And I choose to live surrendered to Christ. So this morning, will you? Will you surrender to the Spirit 
of the disciplines. Will you abandon yourself to the controlling influence of Christ in you that your life may be lived well to his glory? And will you seek to pursue the disciplines of the Spirit? I want us to, uh, for the purpose of focus, kind of imagine that we are in a little room along with God. Let's, let's, it may be helpful for you to close your eyes. It is for me because of my tangential mind. And just present yourself to God. Here I am, Lord. Like Moses said, here I am. Your audience is listening. I am in humble surrender before you. And I invite you. Your spirit to fill my life. And I here and now will choose to follow you. And as as you are prompted this morning, that may be in specific ways. To say, Lord, I, I, I need to embrace the Savior. You know, it really doesn't matter whether our worship services are, are relatively full. If the people in the services are empty. So I would ask you, is Christ in your life today? That is a personal invitation and decision where you choose to embrace Christ as the Savior and the leader of your life, the forgiver of your sin, the transformer of your ways. And if you've made that commitment, maybe this is a moment to say, Lord, you know where my needs are. I need to engage you personally in authentic adoration called worship. Help me to do that. Get me into the Psalms. Confront me with your presence. Or it may be to say, Lord, you know how I struggle with opening up your word, but I know it is breathed out from you and it is meant to be a lamp to my path, a light to my soul. And I do here and now choose to begin systematically to open up the words of life that I may follow you. And live correctly and well. You may need to look at your margins and say, you know, I haven't been alone with God 15 minutes in the last few weeks. God help me. I need your help to, to be wise enough to prioritize time alone with you. That I may engage my world well. Perhaps you need to say, okay, I've kept my community at arm's length. It's time that I step across the line and... and become a part of one of our small groups. There are there's information on the table out in the foyer with the calling cards of the various small group leaders and you can take one and connect with a group. Use this time wisely and well as we come to the moment when we will worship through giving and the connection cards that you have where you can register next step decisions and, and ask for prayer. You can fill that out. Drop it in the offering bag. And you know you'll be prayed for and will be happy to respond to any request you have. Now, Father, as we take this moment, as we've allowed the words of Christ to put a wrap on our series, we want to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you will open up each of our hearts and our wills that we may know and choose to act upon the next step decision to which you're calling us. You had us here for a reason. 
May that reason, that purpose be accomplished right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.